Before we jump into today's topic, a quick disclaimer. The stories and data we share come from the states that we practice in and the experiences that we've personally had, which can differ greatly across our country and certainly the globe. This is not a professional advice show. So let's get comfy and talk about death. Welcome to Mort Mike, a down-to-earth discussion on death and dying. I'm Jem. And I'm Red, and we are your multifaceted morgue mentors this week. In our day-to-day lives, we have a lot of hats that we wear. Our friend hat, our work hat, the family hat, and the -the off-the-clock hat. And when we wear those hats, people's interpretations of us change, whether it be due to personal experiences, preconceived notions, ignorance, whatever have you. Different people think different things about you and the roles that you fill. So today we were hoping to share from our perspective how others perceive us in our professions, from our families to our partners to the strangers on the street. What do people think about their friendly neighborhood death dealers? So I think a, an easy way to start would be with our families. So obviously some of the people we spend the most time with. Um, with my family, um, it's somewhat interesting uh, little division between them. I'm a first generation a funeral director, uh, which means that nobody else in my family is a director. I didn't descend from a long line of funeral directors. I'm the first. Um, and so when I told <laughs> I told my mom originally when I was going to college um, that I was supposed to be, you know, I wanted to be a medical examiner. And like for my graduation party, she got me she got me a cake and it said my uh, doctor and my government name on it. And I was like growing older and then deciding mm, I'm going to be a funeral director that just kind of like, I'm sure I disappointed them a little bit after uh, hyping them up to, to doctor mode. <laughs> doctor cake mode, apparently. <laughs> yeah, right. It was a good cake at least. but um past that disappointment it's always funny going to like family like holidays and gatherings and stuff because like i have like my one aunt she is always wanting to talk about my job at the dinner table she's like asking all sorts of questions that are making my grandparents visually uncomfortable (laughs) (laughs) you know they're they're that age they're getting there so i don't think they really want to think about the end yet (laughs) yeah that's true that's true And that's actually pretty uncommon, right? A lot of funeral directors in the industry, especially the older funeral directors, it's it's a family business. Like their grandpas have been doing it. Their dads have been doing it. It's a very male patriarchy family business type of deal. So someone going into it without any experience, without any family background is actually pretty rare, I think. Yeah, definitely. We're starting to see it pick up a lot more because we're seeing a lot of, uh, more women get into the field. And of course, uh, without having like parents and stuff that are passing down to son to son to son to Jim Jam the fourth, uh, <laughs> we have all these, these ladies coming into it. So a lot more first gens, but definitely a newer thing. 
Yeah, I actually am also not from a funeral director family. So my both my parents are computer geeks. They are like the OG computer geeks that like got into it right when computers started coming out. My brother has always been kind of like an engineer, kind of mathematician kind of guy. So like literally the black sheep of the family right here. <laughs> Definitely kind of a shock when I I was going to school for music when I was an undergrad, right? So a little bit of a shock when I was like, hey guys, I don't want to be a musician anymore i want to be a funeral director <laughs> 180 <laughs> my my poor mother and you know i'm not trying to throw her under the bus right now i love her to death uh we've we've come a long way for sure but i i don't think she talked to me for maybe two or three oh, weeks no. after i told her <laughs> you I got the silent be. treatment <laughs> i did you know because she was one of those family members that was just so aghast like how could you want to do something that's so morbid and so sad every day and you know my dad was he's kind of indifferent my brother's kind of indifferent you know they are supportive but they're they don't want to like know the dirty details but I think the thing for my mom that changed her mind was that she saw that I was helping people. She saw that I was like a compassionate person, kind of like taking care of the deceased. Um, and I think that really tended to change her mind. But I can tell you right off the bat, she was like, why is my child doing this? Like, where did I go wrong? Like, kind of Oh my thing. gosh, my child is going to canoodle with organs. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely. But other than that, I got really lucky with having like a supportive family. I know that a lot of families are definitely bothered by the idea of like one of their relatives is seeing death every day. Actually, I kind of live this vicariously through my partner. So my partner's family is like, they cannot understand why I do what I do. <laughs> and it that's like the one thing that like makes them a little bit like, uh, Un uncertain about me i want to say i want to oh. use good words here <laughs> <laughs> um but definitely so and the funny thing about that is that my partner is actually so interested they want to hear all the stories they have all the questions so when we sit down at the family dinner table at thanksgiving They'll turn to me and go, hey, why don't you tell them the story about that dog that ate that lady's leg one time? And I'm like, absolutely not. I need me a freak like that. <laughs> I mean that in the most loving way. I know. I'm like, listen, babe, your family already can't handle me. Like, let's not make it anywhere. Right now. Right. <laughs> That's how you get sad at the kids table. Oh. <laughs> I know we need like a special table for morticians and family holidays or something right. like that. So we can talk about all the weird stuff because we can palette it. Like. But yeah, two two very different dynamics there. And I love I love them both. Like I love both of my families. So it's really it's not it's not anything off my back. Like I know that a lot of people can't handle it, but it is funny to experience those two dynamics for sure. Right. Especially at the same time. So mm -hmm. a lot of uh, my past partners, like they weren't as supportive. I guess it's they weren't actively unsupportive but it was right. like disturbing and annoying uh, in a way obviously if i'm getting woke up at like uh, three in the morning for a death call they're getting woke up at three at night uh, with a death call so right that was always a, a pain for for a lot of the people i was seeing um and i mean you know how this is like we can literally sit down for a meal and talk shop like it's nobody's business it doesn't make us sick like if anything doing like an embalming makes me more hungry you know so mm -hmm. like i'm i'm just chit-chatting i'm like so like this crazy thing happened at work today like uh, a liver fell on the floor and like you know my partner looking across the table at me like slanty-eyed like 
can we not do this over dinner like every time? <laughs> I know, but we don't have anything else to talk about. Right, exactly. <laughs> Everything else is too mundane. Like, <laughs> I know. I'll be like texting my partner like, uh, hey, this crazy thing happened at work today. Like this guy jumped off the building and his spine shot through his head. And they're like, oh my God. Like, nice. yeah. <laughs> I mean, not nice, but you know. That's like, you know, it's, it's literally just like work talk, except obviously very extreme to someone who's on the outside of it. Absolutely. Definitely. And I think, uh, you know, besides like families and, you know, partners and stuff like that, I think that your like friends that you see every day, it's kind of a mixed bag as well. Because I do tend to I do have friends that tend to like be like, nope, don't want to hear it. No, no, no. I Nope, not interested. But then I also have friends that are like very interested and do like ask a lot of questions and like, you know, whenever they're like, oh, I have this weird thing on my arm. Can you look at this for me? It's like, I'm I'm not a doctor, guys. Like, I look at dead people. Like, I can't help you. <laughs> I, be, I bet back in the day we would be just nearly doctors. Like, we'd be barber, like Dr. Barber levels. I know. Like. Yeah, we're like old-timey doctor level. Yeah, like, right. yeah, just throw some, I don't know, morphine on it and it'll be fine. Right, exactly. <laughs> I, I really do have my friends. A lot of them have been very supportive, like you're saying. Um, like half the time, my super weirdo friends are like, "You got any? You got any uh, pictures you could show me?" I'm like, "No, I do not have <laughs> pictures to show you." <laughs> yeah, really guys. A lot of the times, we're not allowed to take pictures for very, very uh, important reasons. Like right. we don't want to get sued by these families. So exactly. I do have people that are like, "Oh, do you have any pictures?" I'm like, "Absolutely not." um i you know you see all these people posting on social media like pictures from the morgue or whatever but i Mm -hmm. think they get very special permission and i think that they're they take out identifiers definitely yeah there's a lot of i think what i saw i was following a a blog about it once that it was like indigent cases essentially where there was like no like literally nobody and it was like all Mm -hmm. for like medical reasons like study purposes essentially so yeah educational not something that funeral directors and, and morgue workers and forensic pathologists just have on their phones. <laughs> yeah. So don't worry about that either. Like no one's taking pictures of your grandma on their cell phone. Like it's not happening. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> and I think saying that this episode could easily turn into like weird things that strangers <laughs> say to me on a daily basis when I, when I tell them I'm a, a medical examiner assistant. <laughs> Definitely. Like, there's the you know there's the the common like oh everyone's dying to see you or like you know your job will you know your job's not going anywhere or something like this like there's like a list of like 10 jokes that everyone just cycles through whenever i whenever i mention my job to them i'm sure it's the same for funeral directors oh gosh yeah absolutely i've gotten to the point that i make the joke first so they can't make it because i'm tired of hearing it (laughs) (laughs) absolutely um and it I think that goes with one of the most interesting, like, stranger experiences I've had with my job. Um, I was a funeral director student in New York City, right? So Mm. me and my roommate went out to an open mic stand-up night. So, like, an open mic comedy, like, in a, a little bar somewhere in, like, the middle of nowhere, Brooklyn. And we sat in the front because one of my roommate's um, friends was performing, like, a music thing. I can already feel the cringe mounting. (laughs) (laughs) 
So, of course, we sit in the front. And, of course, there's a lot of stand-up comedians. And what do stand-up comedians like to do? They like to do crowd work. Of course, one of them... (laughs) One of them points to me and is like, oh, hey, like, what do you do for a living? And I'm like, oh, I'm a a funeral director. Because, you know, I'm not going to say, like, sit there and explain that I'm a funeral directing student. Right. And that's where shit, like, hits the fan. Like, (laughs) it it was, like, some sort of, like... This is like a wet dream for like a stand-up comedian because there's like so much content. But the thing is, there's only so much content. So like there was at least maybe like 10 or 15 stand-up comedians during this open mic night. Every single one of them ran through their mortician jokes. Like it was like the best thing since sliced bread. And, you know, it's funny at first, but then after like the sixth guy trying to talk to you about like, you know, dead people erections, it's like, (laughs) this is, it's not funny anymore. Like I very much regret ever going into this. Oh my gosh. That sounds literally mortifying. Oh, I did the thing. (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) I'm just as bad is them <laughs> oh it's okay <laughs> i just got it took me a second i was like repressing it for my memory. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah you know they ran the gambit they did the whole um you know people are dying to see you like they wanted to talk about angel lust which is when um a corpse gets an erection which actually happens it's a real thing but that was like the main topic of discussion that they wanted to talk about but it was just i remember sitting there in the front of the audience just being like kill me now like yeah. can I please get out of here <laughs> some low-hanging fruit too like try to make jokes Absolutely. about something else like I don't know a, a clerk at the registrar or something like that's a challenge yeah. take that challenge for jokes instead <laughs> exactly so stand-up comedians out there make sure you kind of like hold back on those mortician jokes I know it's easy access but <laughs> we're people too okay <laughs> Um, But other than that, I mean, you know, like I said, the strangers, you either get the person that's like, oh, like, that's, you know, I could never do that. Like, that's so morbid. How could you ever do that? Or someone who's actually genuinely interested and actually wants to learn about stuff like this, which is kind of why we made this podcast. Yeah, absolutely. I uh, get the same responses of like, breaking the ice with somebody like you're out at the bar and just talking and like the first date or whatever it happens to be. And someone's like, Oh, so what do you do? And like half the people do like the equivalent of like the upside down smiley emoji face. Like that's (laughs) what they do. Or the other half are people that are totally like way weirder than me. Like, super fascinated what i have to say and want to know more but then like legitimately there are a few people that are like getting real weird with it and asked me i i straight up had somebody ask me like i'm at a thrift store it's not even a big deal like i'm i'm getting like two shirts and this like younger girl asked me as i'm checking out it's like what do you do i'm like that's really weird conversation to have at a thrift store but okay i guess you're not in a hurry and i tell Mm her and she's like so do you like you know with the bodies and i'm like is that, oh my god is that what we're talking about right now <laughs> the worst guys inappropriate Super who does no one does that disgusting like just because we work with dead bodies every day doesn't mean we like to talk about that kind of stuff like right, come on exactly and that's not really like a thing like okay like gacy cuddled one corpse like one time like it's not like all funeral directors are out there doing that kind of thing with dead bodies no and we could have a whole episode on this if we wanted to but 
but really? like this is like pet peeve number one a very inappropriate question that would be like something like asking a dog groomer if they like uh, get dirty with the dogs right. like no guys exactly no no <laughs> on the other upside though i do uh get a nice little chunk of people that uh will say that it's like the gothest profession ever which definitely fits my aesthetic so i do appreciate those comments always keep saying that <laughs> yeah for all those out there who can't see red behind the mic they are definitely one of the gothest <laughs> individuals Aww, out there thank you <laughs> <laughs> But yes, oftentimes that is like a weird, like desirable goth profession is to be like a mortician. Like I feel like a lot of goth girls like strive to kind of do that route and then they figure out that they can't handle it. Right. Yeah. (laughs) I definitely meet people like at the few goth clubs that I've gone to. They're like, oh, yeah, I totally wanted to like get my license and stuff. And I'm like. Mm, but it's not like, but she did it yeah right like you don't just start goth and get the job like you kind of get the job and get goth. like i don't know like you can't you can't be going in full <laughs> like vampire outfit into your first like interview like unfortunately so yeah or even after right i'm pretty sure they don't let you wear like super heavy eyeliner and like i don't know all black to funerals right? oh absolutely not you would not from what i look like in me in me penny loafers versus what i look like in my big stompy goth boots like you would never know i was the same person <laughs> <laughs> but unfortunately it's not always super positive interactions that uh we have with everybody and honestly some of the more negative interactions i have are actually with the client families that i serve which is sad in a lot of ways it makes our job a little harder than it already is but um a lot of people distrust inherently funeral directors because you know so many people have this this idea that we're you know being screwed by the funeral industry somehow i mean you go to google you type in anything about a funeral topic like funeral homes nearby how much does a funeral cost stuff like that and like you get those clickbaity articles it's like top 10 ways that you are being screwed at your your grandma's funeral like Mm. it's really sad stuff and that always just upset me um when i would be treated differently by client families because they have this preconceived notion in their head that oh this person is just here to to steal from me or like take advantage of us and like I actually had a lady sit across from me for an arrangement one time. Uh, it was like a big family in there, which is already hard enough to do with crowd control, like eight people trying to talk at the same time. And like I'm going through the contract and she straight up snaps at me and is just like, OK, listen, I know what you're trying to do. I'm a salesperson, so I get it. And like I immediately saw red. I was so upset because all I ever try to do is help and honestly, like save people money. Like I'm the I'm the person that knows how much like I could trim off the margins for you. So yeah, like that just that really hurt to say. And I actually I snapped back at her, which was not professional. But I was like, there's a very big difference between me and a salesperson, ma'am. Like, yeah, that's such a rude thing to say. Yeah, it really was. And it, I mean, it really hurt my feelings because I I really genuinely try to do right by my families that I serve like every time, like without without. Yeah, you know without bar i do think that there is like a preconceived notion that there's like the funeral director is like this slimy sales guy who's trying to sell you like a seven thousand dollar casket i mean you know i'm not gonna say that every funeral director isn't this like i'm sure there are bad guys out there as there is in any profession sure but generally funeral directors are in the profession because they genuinely care about the deceased and the families and they generally care about the families having a good experience and being able to come away from this like not in debt or whatever 
um i i don't think that funeral directors are out there to like steal all your money like that is a preconceived notion that just doesn't exist anymore yeah it really you're you exactly hit the nail on the head because yeah of course there's gonna be a bad apple in the bunch but there's also a lot of laws in place to keep you from being taken advantage of in different respects from like the ftc and stuff like that and honestly like funeral directors either don't make commission at all or the things they make commission on are like flowers or something like i'm not making like two grand off a casket i sell you that is not how that works i get my salary and that's like it so yeah that's true i forgot about that you're like not making any commission based on like what sales you're doing and you know the traditional funeral home is very expensive and that's just like the nature of the beast but a lot of the times funeral directors aren't like pushing you to spend more money it's it's something that the family is deciding to do themselves absolutely we basically take you know our traditional model and i ask you all the questions i would ask a traditional family and you have the right to say no and i then would move on that's really how it works and all of the prices that we're giving you are reflective of the economy and the competitive nature of the industry Uh, it's extremely competitive But a lot of funeral homes will work with you um, and have like special programs themselves or know of like local programs that can help you. So I don't think that we're all bad. We really are here to help. Um, We just also don't like being taken advantage of either because some people will will then kind of flip that script on us too. Right. And another thing that I think a lot of people don't know is that you can actually call and ask the funeral homes for their price list. So you can actually see everything priced out. And a a lot of people kind of shop funeral homes this way. But I, I... I don't think this is a good thing to do. I think that you should pick a funeral home based on what you are comfortable with and, you know, a funeral home that suits your community and has a good reputation. Um, Because really, I feel like there's not a huge difference in what the price list is between funeral homes in a certain area. And you're correct. That's very true. Um, The big thing is that people are going to price shop mostly for direct cremation. Um, That's where you'll see, like, the largest, you know, change in cost. But if you're price shopping for, like, actual, like, traditional services or anything that involves like having like a visitation or funeral the prices are going to be pretty much the same across the board but um that is a very good point to make you are absolutely allowed to do that and we do have to provide you with the pricing if not immediately uh, we have to be able to get it to you in like a timely manner so some places have it on websites sometimes they don't Uh, that's not been made into a rule just yet so I've actually had a lot of people that had been price shopping that had said, oh, you know, you know we'll, we'll call you back. Uh, we'll, we'll keep you in mind. And they've called back and said, everyone we talked to was awful to us, um, even though they were cheaper. Can you guys please take care of our mom? So there's a lot to be said about, you know, the heartwarming touch. You do kind of get what you pay for in some respects. Exactly. You take care of your funeral directors and they're going to take care of you guys. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> um, on the other hand, really, I actually... Because of the nature of my job as a medical examiner, going out there on, you know, fresh scenes of death, like very, very, very raw kind of moment kind of things. I actually get a lot of families that are very relieved to see me. Like they are very happy Aww. that I am there. What a nice change of pace. <laughs> I know, right? I, I think that is, you know, the big difference between a funeral director and like a medical examiner and medical examiner investigator. Because I'm like the first, first person that they see, unless, you know, it's a hospice death or an expected death at the hospital, something like this. But, you know, something, something very, very bad just happened. And 
people are often looking for guidance. You know, everyone's grieving process is different, but I think most people are thankful and receptive to what I have to say. They just want to, they want to know what happened and they want to know if their loved one suffered. And that's like the two biggest things that people ask, I think. And, you know, generally I can tell them that not with so much certainty, but I can, you know, I can kind of ease them, ease their minds. I think generally, yeah, people are are happy to see me. People are happy I'm there. I think there is like a misconception that, you know, the medical examiner can be can be like a politician. They can be bribed. They can mm. be kind of looking out for themselves in terms of like, you know, their cause of death declarations and stuff like sure. this. Um, I'm not sure about coroners because coroners are elected officials, like we talked about in our previous episodes. Uh, medical examiners are completely different. They're actual doctors that take an oath. You know, they're not just politicians sitting around writing on death certificates. So, you know, like I said before, no one is perfect in every profession. But from what I see and from what I've experienced, uh, medical examiners are very, very professional and very, very scientific. They are not going to sway their decision. They're not going to sway their uh, cause of death diagnosis based on the political climate or based on what anyone says to them or like what needs to happen politically or, you know, interpersonally with families. Um, So I think that's what I kind of like working in a medical examiner's office. It's very like, this is what happened. And even if you think it's something else, like I can't say that it was, you know what I mean? Yeah, I actually always appreciated that about medical examiners and like coroners, some coroners, because a lot of the time we rely on you to fix things, um, especially when doctors are like refusing to sign or put like a really like inaccurate diagnosis or the family's unhappy with it like we often rely heavily on medical examiners to come in and kind of clean house and give us exactly the answers that we need Mm -hmm. yeah so i think in general families are are have a really good relationship with the medical examiner which i think goes a long way there are some other people on death scenes usually that I do see that are also very happy to see me, but in a sort of different way. I'm talking about cops. I'm talking about detectives, people whose job it is to deal with death, but they did not necessarily sign up for that part (laughs) of the job. (laughs) You have no idea how many cops and detectives I've dealt with that it you know, it's been a decomposing body or something, you know, really gruesome body parts everywhere. And they are just like, so happy when we roll up and start like collecting pieces of skull, like they don't have to do it. Like they are just so jazzed to see us sometimes. There's this, uh, I don't remember what it's from, but it's based on like a noir detective. It's like, oh, Detective Johnson, you know, there's a a puddle of blood in the hallway. And he's like, gross, clean it up. (laughs) (laughs) That's literally exactly what it's like. (laughs) That's so funny. I've never heard of that before. But yeah, you know, because we show up and they're like, oh, yeah, there's a dead guy in the bedroom. I don't know. He's really stinky. And we're like, yeah, yeah, we got it. (laughs) But yeah, I think I think that's kind of fun going on scene and having that kind of interaction with the cops, too, because I know a lot of people don't deal with cops in very positive ways all the time. So being able to see that kind of side of them where they're like, ew, I don't want to touch that. It's kind of, it's kind of fun. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> I feel like for like my uh, interactions through work, I mean, of course I see like priests and casket salesmen and all that kind of stuff, but it all kinds of, it ends up being the same interaction, whether it's them or just like coworkers of mine. 
Uh, I always get labeled as like the the punky, like know nothing young girl on scene, um, which sucks because mm. I don't know. I mean, I'm 26 now and I've been doing this for way too long already. And <laughs> it just... I know I feel like, yeah, you have so much experience, but I think there is like this, especially because you're a female, like there's this like, oh, like leave it to the men kind of mentality. Right, exactly. The amount of times that I've showed up to a hospital to do a transfer like by myself and the security guards like, oh, they just sent you, huh? And it's like, yes, they did actually just send me <laughs> get out of my way. <laughs> And then you like rip a 250 pound body off of a hospital <laughs> bed onto your cot. <laughs> right. <laughs> but yeah, I think it, it it drives me out of spite, if anything. Uh, makes me work yeah, harder. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. So yeah, as you guys can see, we have very different interactions with very different people across the board. But no matter what the interaction is, I still love my job and I still love talking about my job. And I feel like that goes with most people that deal with death. So if you ever meet someone... Um, just remember to be respectful. Number one, don't make any weird <laughs> jokes about uh, doing something with the corpse. That's very inappropriate. So no, don't do that. But I think most people are very open to talking about the death industry because it isn't something that people talk about often. And I love talking about death. I could talk about it all day long. I'm doing this podcast for you. That's how much I love it. So. Right, exactly. I feel very similarly. Yeah, I would rather wade through those awful puns and weird comments so I can actually get to talk to the people that really care about what we do and are really interested in it too. Absolutely. And I think when you get right down to it, you know, our job is just another job. Of course, we have a specialization in what we do, but you know, we're really just people going to our job every day. It's really nothing to be afraid of. Right, exactly. But that's going to be it for this week on Mort Mike. We'd really love to connect with you guys on our socials so you can like, follow, and subscribe to us on our Facebook, our Twitter, and our YouTube at Mort Mike Podcast. That's M-O-R-T-M-I-C-P-O-D-C-A-S-T. And it would mean a lot to hear your feedback too. So tell us about your weird jobs and the weird comments people make with you <laughs> in a comment. Or you can even drop us a rating on whatever podcast hosting site you use. If you have any suggestions on topics you'd like to hear about or burning questions you might have about death, shoot us an email at mortmikepodcast at gmail.com. And I just wanted to wish everyone a happy holiday. I've finally convinced my family to call this day something a little less oppressive, maybe Family Community Day. Um, but I just wanted to take the time to be thankful and thank everyone that's helped us on our journey. I want to thank Macklin, who gave us this beautiful art that we use on all of our sites. I'm thanking Marcin, who's responsible for this banging music that we play every episode. You can check out his Bandcamp at marcinmusic.bandcamp.com. I want to thank my friend Dan for helping me learn how to edit, learn what sound is and what you need to be aware of, because I really had no idea what I was doing during our first episode editing that. I want to thank everyone who's commented and everyone who's liked our page and supported us through this journey. Keep commenting and keep giving us uh, your opinions on death and what you want us to talk about. And I also, of course, want to thank our friends and family. You guys are awesome. You've always supported us. We love you. And be sure to tune in every other week on Thursdays for more casual discussions on death. Thanks so much for listening. It's been Mort Mike. Bye. Bye.